Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Empowering Family Caregiver Show on Blog Talk Radio. I'm Susan Bida, the co-founder of eCareDiary.com and your host for today's show. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we are focusing today on long-distance caregiving, and the title of our program is called Helping Aging Parents from Afar. How do you do this? Um, you're, if you're new to it and you're, or you're not new to it, but you could use some extra tips, this is a, a great show to listen to. We have a very distinguished guest today. Her name is Nancy Stein. She is the founder of Seniority Matters, uh, and she runs a website called SeniorityMatters.com. Uh, Seniority Matters is a company in South Florida that helps adult children help their aging parents even if they live miles apart. Her website, as I said, SeniorityMatters.com, offers both a do-it-yourself approach or private consultations for those who need more personal assistance. So Nancy is a, uh, has a master's in public health from Yale University, and she's a Ph.D. in epidemiology from the University of Miami, where she is currently an adjunct faculty member. Nancy also has extensive experience in aging and community-based research and programs, and she has a question and answer column, Ask Nancy, which appears weekly in the Miami Herald and offers advice on caregiving issues. Nancy, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you. I'm really happy to be here. Well, it's great to have you, and what a background. Um, you, you sound like uh, exactly the person I, I need to be speaking to today as I um, am caring uh, for my father from a distance, and he's in South Florida, so I'm sure we'll be talking a lot more after well, this show. <laughs> well, I'm happy to. Having been a, a, a full-time caregiver for, from afar myself, um, seniority matters was just a perfect segue for me. So. Great. Well, let's let's go ahead and, and start because um, I think what we need to know is what is the single most important piece of advice that you can give to long-distance caregivers? Um, well, the most important piece of advice I give is probably also the one that I give the most often, and that it's pretty simple. It's be prepared and get ready for helping your parents. Um, because honestly, you can't be too prepared. Um, you know, barring a, a real catastrophic health event, the signs that you're going to need to be a caregiver, that your parents are going to need help, it, it really creeps up slowly. Um, maybe you've noticed that your parents walk a little slower, or they speak a little slower, or maybe you've noticed that your mother made a right turn instead of a left turn on a route that she, you know, usually takes or... Um, for me, I noticed my father made like inappropriate comments when he usually was so reserved. And while it may seem you know, that these incidents are little isolated events, maybe you laugh them off, they may actually be like little dots that you can connect and uh, that are connected together and a sign that, you know, impending need for caregiving. So in an ideal world, you know, this would be the time that, you know, alarms would go off and you'd get organized um, and you wouldn't wait until you're in a crisis. But what really happened, tends to happen is the timeline is really that most adult children seek help and advice after they visit their parents. 
So where they've noticed a lot more huge or more glaring deficiencies than the ones like I just described. Like maybe they've noticed that their parents um, lost the weight so their refrigerator is empty or that they're just not as clean, as crisp as they usually are or they repeat things all the time. So the way it usually works is that people get organized and start helping their parents simultaneously. But it's never yeah. too late to get ready and be prepared. And um, I can guarantee you it's always, always worth the effort. So what amazes me most, and, and, and I was probably yeah. at fault as well, is that most people that I speak to who, who really feel that they need to help their parents don't know very much about them. They don't know a lot about their medical history or what meds their parents take or who their physicians are or if they have a little help in the house, even what the name of that person is, or if they even have a safety deposit box or, or a will or any other legal documents or insurance things. So when you're worried and you think you need help, my, big, my advice is just jump on in and get ready and be prepared. So I guess the big question, the next question you'd probably ask is like, well, what do you do? So if you have siblings, this is the time yeah. to talk to them. Maybe if you think your parents are really going to need a lot of help and assistance, you divvy up the responsibilities. Maybe one of you is more adept at like finances or one in medical. Maybe one of you are a lawyer. Whatever it is, you can help divvy them up. Next thing you have to do um, is you have to talk to your parents. So, so right. many people tell me, oh, I can't talk to my parents. They're so private. They don't want to, um, they won't discuss any of this with me. It's so difficult. But um, in fact, what I have found is that many of these people have also helped their own parents. And even though it's a long time ago, they can remember what it was like. And also a lot of people tell me that um, they're surprised that they're sort of met with a little gratitude because often their parents are worried themselves, but they don't want to tell the kids. So that's another thing I would do. The other things I would do is like make this sort of like a fact-finding mission, like gather all yeah. this information, who their doctors are, what meds they take, um, Maybe this is the time next time you're down there if a parent has a specific chronic ailment that you accompany them to that particular doctor that treats that. Or um, I'm not suggesting this is the time to come in and take over and take away their independence, but if you get prepared like this and know who these resources are, it will help parents maintain the independence down the road. So... Um, Maybe that, that's also, how you position it, right? I mean, so well, like I'm thinking about this with my dad, yeah. Yes, that, that's exactly how you position it. You position it sort of this way in a lot of things, um, like whether it be giving a caregiver or how to do things. It, it's really you do all these things to help them maintain their independence and to help um, and have these conversations so that you can effectuate what it is that they want to do, not what you think they should want to do. So... Um, this is also the time that perhaps you ask them for permission in the event that it's ever needed um, to speak to their doctors or that their doctors should know who you are in case they think one day that they're not able to um, understand what the doctor's trying to communicate to them. Um, in my case, I just wrote a little memo and had my father sign it that said, and it went into the chart, 
of, for each of his doctors that said, I allow you to talk to my daughter Nancy if she should call, and if you think you need to talk to her, feel free to call her. Um, but a lot, of form, um, a lot of doctor's offices have these forms readily available, and it's really standard operating procedure. Oh, um, okay. So is that different than, I guess, a healthcare proxy? Well, yes, it actually, yes, this is different than a healthcare proxy. This is really just a HIPAA release sort of saying that the doctor has permission to talk to you. So okay. this, is, this is different. But now that you mention that, this is also the time to discuss healthcare proxies and durable powers of attorneys because should your parents ever become incapable of making decisions um, that you understand ahead of time what it is that they want and that any decisions you make are based on what they want, not what you think. So I usually recommend that people keep this information all in one place. So maybe, I don't know, I have this thing I call it, like get a colorful binder and put some tabs in it and update it every time you visit if you uh, you know, if the meds change or doctors or, or things like that. Put your insurance mm -hmm. policies in there and have two copies of it, one for your parents and one with one of the siblings. If you have multiple siblings and one of them has durable power of attorney, um, maybe that's the one that should keep the binder. So if there's ever an emergency, somebody knows to take that binder and you don't waste all this time trying to figure out who's allowed to talk to who and what meds there are. Um, so the doctors can act even quicker. So um, one more point here about being prepared, and it, it, it's a, um, a little tangential, but um, if you know ahead of time that resources are tight, and, and actually most people who call me are concerned, you know, there's never, very rarely is there an endless supply, um, this is also the time to think about other options as part of your planning process. For example, if your father or mother was a vet or your mother's a widow and your father was a veteran, maybe they're entitled to some VA benefits. Or if a parent was a Holocaust survivor, there may be like other benefits that are available to them. Um, through your areas of aging, um, you know, the state health departments, often their programs like the Vogue thing now is programs that prevent rehospitalization. So they offer some in-home services um, that may, you may be able to take advantage of. I mean, there are even programs out there in a lot of municipalities that defer property taxes. So um, you may want to talk to a financial advisor to help you get a plan together. So um, basically, being prepared and organized will help you make all the best choices going forward. Um, and my final thing is, as you make plans, put in your budget, travel for yourself to visit your parents. That makes a lot of sense. And, uh, you know, in my case, I mean, we, you know, we go, I think, down there once or twice a year, and I'm beginning to feel like I'm going to need a budget more trips down there. So um, that, is, well, uh, yeah. that is a wonderful piece of advice. Thank you. Right. And sometimes if you have multiple siblings, and time is tough, and it's not easy. Um, maybe you schedule, I know in our case, when we really felt that the the amount of care needed and attention just kept, you know, growing. Um, we scheduled it so that one child was there every three weeks. Some lived closer than others, but, you know, that's another thing. You know, keeping the lines of communication and everything open with your siblings is really, really important. Yeah. And uh, I, I imagine this is probably a whole other uh, a show unto itself, but... <laughs> 
how, how to like work with your siblings if, if things aren't necessarily always copacetic. So. Well, and, and they're often not. The truth of the matter is when you think about your parents and the needs that you have to help them, yeah. whether it be whether you live there or far away, the needs aren't um, so varied and they're not, you know, so, so many different ones. But when you put into play all the family dynamics, no two situations are the same. Right, right. Okay, so Nancy, thank you so much for yeah. that. And uh, I think uh, a lot of a lot of adult children out there are probably wondering about. Okay, so let's say our parents in our, are in a very, um, uh, they're in a in a in a, s- a situation where they do need uh, daily assistance. And so, um, what can we do as adult children to make sure we're hiring the very best caregivers or aides for our parents? It's like one of the biggest questions we get, I think, on, on our site, and I imagine um, our audience is very interested in this. And I, and I too, get that question, uh, question a lot. Um, there's so many things that you need to consider to get the best caregiver, and it's not just one level of consideration. So... Um, you need to do your homework, number one. And, you know, even though you think you're hiring, you know, your goal is to hire somebody that's really friendly and a warm person that's going to be nice to your parents. And, you know, for the most part, we do it out of love because we we want them to be safe. You have to remember this is a business transaction and you have to treat it as such. You should only work really with licensed companies or trained individuals. If you, if you choose to work with an agency, you want to make sure that they're licensed to provide the services that your family member or your parent needs. So, for example, some um, companies are licensed as what we call companion care companies. And while they provide a fabulous service, they may not be a good fit if your family member needs a lot of, quote, you know, hands-on and clinical care. So mm-hmm. um, you also want to make sure that the agency does all the appropriate background checks on their aides. Usually they do. It's reflected in the state records, but you want to make sure. You want to make sure mm-hmm. that they carry all the appropriate insurance, and you should never hesitate to ask for a copy of their insurance certificate. If they haven't haul and they don't want to give it to you, move on to another agency if they don't want to do that. Um, also, you can also view their inspection reports. Home health agencies are inspected um, by the state. It varies by state by state how often they're, um, but you can view their inspection reports. Um, mm-hmm. The other thing, when you talk to them on a more casual basis, you want to make sure that you understand what they do in the case of an emergency, so if the, or if the aide doesn't know what to do, or if you want to contact the agency at after hours, or, I mean, some agencies have services, um, some of them take their phones home with them. You also want to know what are they going to do on a backup. So what if your caregiver comes down with the flu or she decides Monday night she really doesn't want to come in on Tuesday? You want to know how they're, um, you know, how they're going to handle things like that. Um, sure. If you're going to use an independent caregiver, which a lot of people do, you want to do a detailed background check on them. Again, if they don't want you to do it, you should take it as a sign and don't hire them. But if you do hire them, make sure you set up an emergency plan with them. What are you going to do? Who are they going to call if something should happen? 
Um, well, what, uh, Kate, if you don't mind my asking you, um, no. so with regard to the independent caregivers, are we talking about people that you would find on some of these like websites that, that where women post um, or men post about their ability to, to care for an elder at home? And is that, um, is that it could be. It could be. I tend, um, first of all, I, I tend to work more with agencies. But, you know, a lot of times friends of friends have had longtime caregivers and then parents have passed away and they've had an excellent caregiver that had been with them for 20 years. Or sometimes yeah. people come to me and they already have a caregiver. Maybe I'll ask them, why don't you do a background check just to make sure that they hadn't thought mm-hmm. of it or they've already been with them three years. Usually it's not an issue. Um, a lot of these other websites, I mean, I think one of the reasons you use them is because they do that for you. But um, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I still do it myself. I still recommend people do it, um, you know, them, themselves, especially long-distance caregivers because, you know, you don't have the luxury that people who live, you know, within a mile of their parents can just pop in and check in on them and make sure things are going right. right. So right. I think that's important. So let me... But, let me ask you a suggestion about that. So, um, so let's say, uh, okay, I'm here in Pittsburgh. I want to do a background check on uh, someone caring for my dad. So, how? What would be the next step that I would take to do that? Do I use an online service or? Well, you could police. You could send them. Um, a lot of times, uh, local police departments do them for them. They can get them done for free. Um, oh. Organizations. Um, you can pay. There are companies. Um, that do background checks. Um, okay. I do background checks all the time for caregivers. Um, okay. And, you know, or if a caregiver, for example, if I ever refer uh, um, an individual to help uh, a parent, whether it be, you know, a cleaning person or a person that helps pay the bills, I always do a background check on them. They cost about 50 to $60, depending if you want to include their driving record um, and, and you know, usually people do that. It doesn't seem to be a real big issue to get people to do that. It's just a really good safeguard to have in place. Sometimes Perfect. people have had them done from previously for other jobs that they've had, and if they're within a reasonable period of time, you can feel free to use them and feel comfortable to use that as well. Great. Great. Wow, a lot, a um, lot of things to think about. <laughs> I should, well, did I so, interrupt you while you were talking about uh, other things as well? Sorry. No, no, no. There's so many questions here. It's um, it's it's really hard to to hit it, to cover it all in a short period of time. But if you do your homework and you speak to a couple agencies and you choose one that you want to work with, the next step really is that you want to find an aid that not only is good chemistry for your parent, but that fulfills the needs that you have. So um, um, what I caution people at this point is that the need for having assistance care, you know, last, can last for many, many years. And the one guarantee in the whole caregiving journey that I can promise you is that it's going to change. You know, there are going to be a lot of changes. So you want to make sure that you use your resources really cautiously and don't provide your parents with help that they either don't need or they don't want. So once you determine that they need help, 
um, the thing to really determine is what kind of help that they need. And I really recommend that families, whether you live far away, you can do it on a conference call, or you can go down and meet with your family, but that you sit down and you discuss the exact tasks that you need to be done. And your parents and providing their capable need to be part of the, of the process and really part of the, really the decision maker. So truly not everybody needs full-time help. Some people need help in the morning. Others need help around dinner time and getting the meals done. Um, and so setting up a time that an aide can come in on a regular schedule, maybe it's 2 to 6 or 3 to 7, maybe it's not every day, um, yeah. will make a huge amount of difference. So, and if you ha- keep a regular schedule like that, you'll be able to get the same um, caregiver and it will make things just a lot easier. So after you discuss the tasks, I suggest that you sit down and talk about the attributes of the person that you want to help your parent. So do they want someone they can also play cards with and yak with and talk to, or do they want someone that's sort of in the background and only there when they really need help? Do they speak only Spanish, or do they need a specific language? Do they need someone to drive them places? So you need to sort of discuss this right, you know, right away and um, I'll tell you, it's, it's really not easy to get it right the first time, and, and you shouldn't set the expectations that you will get it right the first time. So um, oh, my favorite story of this is I had a, a family I worked with, and the woman was in her 80s and really needed a lot of help. Um, she had some cognitive impairment, and there was really no question she needed help, and her kids were really insistent on it. So first they arranged for someone to come in like six hours a day, and after about a month, she was miserable, and um, she, she felt like the caregiver were like, she called them helicopters, that they hovered over her all the time, <laughs> and she just, like, <laughs> she couldn't stand it. So I suggested to the family that they consider someone, since she had the space, to live in. It's actually a little less expensive when you think of it on an hourly basis, and she had the space. And once they did that, she never felt like, People were, they had their own little space. She never felt that people were hovering all over. And it created a much more relaxed environment. And she resumed going to see her friends because she felt a lot more liberated by doing that, doing it that way. So, I mean, that was a simple solution. It's not always that simple. Um, but often it is. Yeah. So the well, uh, thing I'll say about select, I'm sorry. When you're going to get all these things in place, um, for your parent, it's really important that someone, one child, one sibling, come down and help with the assimilation process. You know, parents yeah. are, even if they need it, don't want it, or they're resistant, and it really helps everything. For, it makes the whole situation much more comfortable for everybody involved. That makes a lot of sense to have someone there or do it yourself if, if, you're, if you don't have someone who can do it for you. Um, well, let, let me ask you about uh, this part of it because uh, it's obviously very sensitive. And um, so, you know, we know that um, as some of our parents age, they may not have the ability to write or read as well. And let's say they want to maintain their independence and they still need to, you know, pay their bills and um, monitor finances. So what's the best way we can help them do that and uh, but yet protect them? Because you just hear these stories sometimes about, you know, elders getting taken advantage of by their own 
um, you know, hired caregivers or whatnot. I, I, I just, you know, I just, uh, I hear these, I hear negative stories. I'm not sure if they're always the case, but, uh, you know, what do we do to help protect our parents? Uh, it was a really good question, and um, it's something that every adult child should really think about, everyone who helps their parents, whether their parents need help or not, because I think that the truth is, as we age or our parents age, it's going to happen to us too, they tend, we tend to lose our shrewdness and our sense of who to trust, and that's probably why, um, you know, our parents are such victims of scams. I mean, it doesn't whether it be phone scams, financial scams, they are true victims. And sometimes they just, and I'm sure the numbers are much greater than we even know about. Um, I think that there are a couple things that you can do, especially for kids who live far away. Um, and, And unlike some of these other things, the solutions for this are so much more like almost like concrete. So I would ask your parents if you can be on their bank account. That's the first thing. Um, it's a good idea. Wow, that's a big one. That's a big it one. It is a big one. I, that's why I, said, I guess that's why I gave that one first. Um, <laughs> uh, you don't have to do anything with it. It gives you the opportunity to monitor it online to make sure they're not writing like huge checks to people they don't know. It allows them to do it. Um, it's a little secretive sometimes, but sometimes it's really important. Um, you, the argument is that if something should happen, somebody should have access to it. And it, if your parents, you know, have agreed and are amenable to planning with you, like we already discussed, this won't be as big a deal as as you, it just sounded. Um, and then you could really outrightly ask your parents um, if they'd like help paying the bills. If not, you can also monitor online. If your parent needs help and they and, you know, they acknowledge that they need help, but they don't want to share that with you. That's just, like, too much. Um, One thing I often refer people to um, is what is called uh, a profession called the daily money managers. So they're not – they are bill payers, but a lot of them have MBAs or they're CPAs or – um, and they help, and they're usually specifically trained to work with seniors. Um, they get taxes ready. They pay the bills. They can coordinate it with the CPAs and lawyers and the kids, whatever you want. They can come in, um, and, you know, they're a fabulous service. Um, they can keep track of your medical and other insurance papers. They can help organize your files and keep your house orderly paper-wise. Um, and what I like about them versus, let's say, like a, a bookkeeper, and I also would like caution you not to let the, if you're using a home health agency, to, they might say, oh, I can send you somebody to help you. Um, I prefer a daily money manager. They, they, they adhere to a strict, um, more of a code of ethics. Um, and there is an association of daily money managers, and they have their own website, and you can put in your zip code and find one that's close to you. Um, another thing about them is if, if a parent has dementia, these expenses, I mean, you have to check with your CPA under certain rules and laws in different states, but they can be deductible too. Um, another that's, solution that's for fun. your parent, yeah, a lot of people don't know about that. 
Daily Money Managers. Okay, and do, would you happen to know the um, website or resource? What's the, is it? Is it the um, Association of Daily Money Managers or something like it's that? It's called the American. Yes, it's called the American Association of Daily Money Managers. Wow, and, and okay, I great. have quite a few clients that have used them. Um, also, for example, lawyers use them in their offices too to help with some of their you know, older clients that need help, and it sort of helps them not charge them such astronomical legal fees when this is really all that they need. You know, a lot of trust and estate attorneys use them in their offices as well. Well, Nancy, um, this has been uh, all very great. You know, we're, we're um, two minutes before the show ends, and I want to cover um, one, uh, you know, we've been talking about, uh, you know, sort of the beginning stages of when we start noticing and um, issues with our parents, and um, I... I I want to talk about a little bit, we have a short period of time to talk about like what if um, they're really in the throes of needing lots of care, you know, they have a very um, severe chronic illness. Um, what does one person do to really monitor all this? Um, can one person do it all? And who, who do you go to to help you from afar with um, issues like that? Um, well, I can, I'm going to relate to you in, in this since a really short of time, my own experience of being in that particular situation. The most important thing a long-distance caregiver can have is a trusted resource, somebody that they can turn to that can inject a little objectivity and sort of help guide them. Are they making mistakes? Are they seeing things right? And helps keep them both emotionally and intellectually sort of intact. For me, that person was a geriatric care manager. Um, who is a professional that's either a nurse or a social worker that can do an assessment that can help determine what your needs are. You can use this in the beginning of the caregiving journey, and it will help you be more resourceful and you know, cognizant of all your resources, financial resources. Or you can use them in the middle when it gets a little crazy and you don't know what to do. They can help um, help answer questions for the caregivers. They can schedule your parents' Nancy, I'm going to have to stop you right there because we're uh, right about to end, and I want to let our audience know that they can learn more about you through seniorityMatters.com. Thank you, Nancy, so much. So much to talk about, and we'll certainly have you back to uh, discuss long-distance caregiving with our audience some more. Thank you. Well, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.